finish this up. Okay, our last lesson in the book of Revelation. Um, we are going to look at chapters 21 and 22, and now we are talking about the new heaven and the new earth. So let's look, first of all, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now let me stop right here. There are a lot of things we could go into, and there's a lot of historical facts and comparing other scriptures to come up with an idea of what does the new Jerusalem look like? It, the Bible says it comes down out of heaven as a bride adorned for the bridegroom. What does all that mean? How is it? Where is it going to be? It's coming out of heaven. Is it going to be suspended somewhere above the earth? Is it actually going to come all the way down and be placed on the earth, the new earth, that is? <coughs> all of that would be great and very interesting theological discussion. However, you know me. I'm more interested in the practical, what's that got to do with me, than all that other stuff. So here's the point. In these last few verses that we just read, in verse 3, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let me tell you the most important thing about the New Jerusalem. It is the dwelling place of God, and it will be physically and literally with us. Now God is in heaven, and we are down here. In this new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth, <coughs> in the new arena that we're going to live in, God and us will be together. He will be with us wherever that is. Now, I believe that the new heaven and the new Jerusalem the new world, I believe it's literally a physical place. Um, Second Peter, or First Peter, chapter. Uh, no, hold on, this. Second Peter, chapter three, verses eight through thirteen, talk about how God will purge the earth. It will, the heavens and the earth will burn with fire, with fervent heat. Literally, He's going to destroy it and remake it. He's going to create. In Isaiah chapter sixty-four and sixty-five and sixty-six, and that stretch through there. God talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And he uses the word create. In the Hebrew, it's the same word that was used in Genesis chapter 1 in reference to the creation of the world in the beginning. Amen. So literally what he's going to do, he says, I created everything in Genesis 1, put man in the garden. He was in a perfect environment. Man sinned because Satan came around. He tempted Eve. Eve and Adam sinned. Sin took over, and that's where we are. That's why we got a Bible. It is the story of redemption because of that. So here's what God's going to do. God says, the story of redemption is completed. So I'm going to destroy what caused this. I'm going to recreate it. We're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to start over. Now, what's the difference? This time... There is no Satan. He's gone. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, 
put us in it, and we're going to start all over again the way it was supposed to be the first time. Except this time there's no sin. And we're going to live in fellowship with God. He will be with us. Don't you remember the Bible says that Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day. He was with them. Well, that's going to happen again. He's going to be with us on the earth. He's not going to be up in heaven somewhere and us down here and in a long-distance relationship anymore. That's what's most important about that passage. Now look at verse number 4, what he's going to do for us. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The way things are now will not be the way things are then. Why? One main reason. There's no sin. All of these things, the death, the mourning, the crying, the pain, the tears, that was all caused by sin. There is no more sin. It's gone. He did away with it. And so now we go into this new state. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. They were coming to the end. He's finishing everything. We're going to the way God wanted it and intended for it to be in the beginning. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, what does that mean right there? I hear people quote that all the time. It says, well, what if I've ever done any of those things? Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? The whole point of this passage of Scripture is describing the new heaven and the new earth. In the new heaven and the new earth, there ain't none of these people there. It's got nothing to do with you and me if we ever were involved in that. That's all been taken care of by the blood of Christ. What he's saying is, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no death, and no sin or sinful people. And there will be no sinful practices. None of that is there. It's gone. These kind of people you won't have to deal with anymore. They won't be there. Then he says in verse number 9, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, I'm not going to take time to read it, but the next part of chapter 21 gives a description of the new Jerusalem, the new city. Let me just say this for the sake of time. Um, we're going to skip down, by the way, to verse 22. That's where we're going to pick up in a minute. The Bible says that it was 12,000 stadia in length. That literally is somewhere around 14 to 1,500 miles in length. And the Bible says it was as wide as it was long and as high as it was wide and long. Literally, it's going to be a 14 to 1,500-mile square yeah, cube city. Okay. Now, you, you figure about start from Columbia and drive 1,500 miles and then cube that. And that's how big the new Jerusalem is going to be. Now, again, what's that mean to me? All that means is it sure is going to be something. 
I mean, is it 1,400 or 1,500 miles? I don't know, and I don't care. As long as God's there, and I'm there, and, and there ain't none of them other people he just said that wouldn't be there, and there's no pain or death or sorrow or crying, then I want to be there. Whether it's 1,400 or 1,500 miles, that's okay. You know what I think God's doing? I think God's just trying to show us the majesty and the wonderful environment that we're going to get to spend eternity in. And I don't think there are human words that adequately can describe it. He's just doing the best he knows we can handle right now. Okay? But don't, and, and I guess I'm saying that because don't ever get into a theological argument over people. Well, it's 1,400 miles, not 50. Who cares? What, what difference does it make? Okay? Look at verse 22. Interesting here. I did not see a temple in the city. I mean, this is Jerusalem. I mean, the temple has been a vital part of, of the whole Scripture. But he says, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Why do you need a temple that was full of pictures and shadows pointing to them when you got the real thing? That's why there's no temple. Because they are there. You don't need a temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. There's no night there. It never turns night. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. This is one reason why I believe it is a literal, physical, earthly existence with all the structures that we know now. Nations, kings over these nations. The Bible talks about them. The nations and the kings bring their splendor to the city of Jerusalem. It will be the center of worship of the new earth. And we'll all serve and want to be there. That's where God is. Now, God is everywhere because he's omnipresent. But that's his home. Let's keep going. Um, verse 26. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There are no wicked people that have rejected God anymore. Remember in the millennium when Jesus reigned on the earth, you still had wicked people. Because at the end of it, Satan gathered them all together. In the new heaven and the new earth, there are none of those people. They're not there. Hard to imagine. Verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Why? There's no sin. We work and we cultivate and we do whatever we do for the joy of it. Is that not why or how Adam did it before sin? You know, when God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, somebody says Adam never had to work. No, he didn't. God put him in the garden to tend it and care for it before sin. But he did it out of sheer joy. He wanted to do it. I'm telling you, this is totally different than anything we can comprehend because we are not like this now. We don't know what it's like to be in an existence with no sin. But that's what it was like in the garden prior to sin. Okay? We're going back to that. Let's look at um, 
Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Everybody serves God. You know, I've got to beg people to serve God. Everybody does. And they want to. I can just imagine me, because I'm hyper. I'm hoping God fixes that when I get to there. But I can just imagine. God says, Bill, I need you to go over here and do this. Oh, good. I'll get that done. Hey, God, I'm done. What can I do next? That's what it's going to be like. Everybody wants to serve Him. They want to do it together. It's a perfect environment. Now, we're, you know, we, we try to make it like that now on this earth. When you look at this and you get a vision of what real eternity is like, <coughs> it makes what we live in now look that much tainted. You see how messed up we really are. This is not how God intended his people to live. It's not how he created us to live. Okay? Let's keep going. <coughs> Verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp, the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, this is great, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servant the things that must soon take place. Then Jesus speaks up in verse 7 to John. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. You know what that means? That means that we keep them consciously in our mind. We know this is where we're headed. And it's encouraging. And we're looking forward to it. Verse 8. I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Here it is again. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and prophets of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Remember I told you twice he was going to do that. This is the second time. We only worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Don't seal it up and throw it away. Keep it open. Let people see it. The time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Verse 11. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Verse 12. Jesus speaks again. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. That's in reference to what we talked about. Rewards or no rewards. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexual immorality, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. By the way, that is God giving one final invitation. Anybody that wants to be saved and take of this water can, and it's free. We're not trying to exclude anybody. Everybody can come. However, these people, and he talked about them in verse 15, the dogs on the outside, those people don't come because they choose not to. And those are the ones that will be done away with and they won't be around. Verse 18. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let me tell you the last few verses about adding to and taking away from the book. This is why I made the statement. If it ain't in this book, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Because if you add to this book or you take away from it, God says that is not a very good thing. Do not do that. So all we can do is talk about what's in the book. Okay? So that concludes our rapid-fire survey through the book of Revelation. Um,